on the top of our homepage at israelnewstalkradio.com. And now for this live program. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on israelnewstalkradio.com. Okay, we're shutting off all our supplies here. <laughs> okay, it's the morning after Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day. And um, like so many Israelis, I'm a little bit, not hungover. Jews really, we're not big on the drinking, but I've eaten over. We've eaten too much. We've celebrated never enough. We sang not too much. And um, this really was, how can I say it? If there is something called a secular holiday on the Israeli calendar, it would be Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Only Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Independence Day, is the day that follows the agonizing, indescribable Yom Hazikaron, our Memorial Day. Very real and um, uniquely Israel. So, uh, so if we're getting a little start, we haven't seen each other for a long, long time. I'm waiting to see who's listening in this morning. We're going to do our Rampa Room shout outs too um, in just a bit. But I wanted to share with you just those who are regular listeners and those who are um, just discovering us, if not the station, then this show. Certainly, last year, last year, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Independence Day. Um, I remember the show. And I remember the show not so much for what I was able to share and the warm, loving notes I received afterwards. But I was painfully aware of something that I hadn't shared. I had had a terrible experience the night, you know, all Jewish holidays, whether they be an Israeli Jewish holiday or a Torah commanded Jewish holiday, begin the night before. And last year, filled with abject patriotism and Zionism, I took my flag festooned car and I drove through a neighborhood in Jerusalem um, not in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, a neighborhood that is devoutly, devoutly what is called ultra-Orthodox, a ugly term, meaningless term. And something terribly sad happened to me. I was, um, my car was surrounded by those who don't believe as I do, for those who believe that the state plays a different role in their lives and their role in the life of the state is different and I don't want to belabor the differences but what I will say was I was frightened I was frightened from my brothers the same Torah guides us all it's the umbrella of our lives the Torah is supposedly our national blueprint and here I was under siege I was seen as the other and it was terrible and I remember rolling gently, taking my foot off the brake as it rolled through a crowd of of people surrounding me, ripping the flags off my car and behaving generally quite badly. And I remember thinking, 
I've got to get my achtut, my achtut, my brotherhood. I have to feel it. How am I going to feel it? How am I going to do a radio show tomorrow morning? I don't think of Israel News Talk Radio as an apologist for the Jewish state. We carry the banner. We celebrate the miracle of Israel, both modern and old. And I was really given an enormous challenge last year before I came to the microphone. Not so much this year. This year I drove to the same celebrations um, where my children were living in Ramat Beit Shemesh, beautiful burgeoning city um, in Israel between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. I'm sure my geography is wrong. I will hear from people soon. You got that wrong. And I tell you, if I did not know that I was in Beit Shemesh during the celebrations of both the closing out of the Memorial Day and the bursting forward, the national joy of Independence Day, one would have thought that I was in the most Zionist, Zionistic, Zumgaligali, Jewish um, Yeshuv settlement, beautiful place that was born in, out of this burgeoning state. It was so joyous. And I watched my grandchildren, only in Israel, two years coming from South Africa, carrying the flag, giving presentations. I made a joke into one of their ears. I said, you know, they're speaking in Hebrew. Do you need me to translate? And they looked at me with that grandma so stupid look. It was such a joyous, joyous moment. And then in order to get home and back on the highway, I had to drive again through one of the neighborhoods that does not celebrate Israel's Independence Day. Thought to myself, should I take the flags off? And I said, no. And as I drove, of course, I made the wrong turn. I went on a wrong street. And a Haredi man, you know the term Haredi, I hate these terms, ultra-Orthodox, I saw him standing behind my car and I became very, very frightened. And I saw he was like guiding my car and guiding my car because I was trying to make a U-turn. And I had the window open and I said to him, thank you, thank you very much. I, we spoke in Hebrew. And he said to me, Chag Sameach. Happy holiday. Happy Yom Ha'atzma'ut. If I tell you, even as I share this story, tears well behind my eyes, and I say, yes, we are Am Achad, Lev Achad, one people, one heart, if only we will let it happen. It was just absolutely a beautiful moment, and it erased all the sadness. And you know what? when we have these uncomfortable experiences with one another, and I will be telling you one later on that I had in America, I could just still see my brother wagging his finger at me from behind the speaker's back. Um, if only we will, will togetherness, will that which unites us. We only have one country. We only have one Eretz Yisrael. Myriad enemies myriad naysayers, one blessed, holy country, flawed, loud, crazy, delicious, loving, 
hours. Um, oh, you know who's listening in today? The U.S. is listening in. Hi, it's very late at night for you guys. Well, it's nine o'clock on the wait, nine o'clock on the West Coast. That's right. Boketov Eretz Israel. Are you guys as stuffed as I am? Canada is with us and the UK this morning. Getting ready. I have to tell you something. In the UK, all I'm reading about is preparation for the coronation. Prepar- you have to know what it feels like to outsiders. Get on with it already. How much preparation? How much? Where Harry's sitting? Is he sitting? Is he coming? Is he not coming? <laughs> Terrible. Crazy. Well, I heard today all the things that Camilla wants on the menu, off the menu. My gosh, enough with the pomp. It's my American belly speaking. All right. Um, before we go to our break, what can I say? I do want to just throw out to you as we start this new beautiful season. Um, by the way, I raced back to Israel to come here. I was overseas for almost three weeks. And I know from experience, you do not do Memorial Day. You do not do Independence Day unless there is a pressing, pressing reason. You do not do it outside of Israel when Israel is your home. Just can't do it. And in the words of Rabbi D, father of the slain Maya and Rina and husband to Lucy, who was declaring on April 10th, he said, today is D's day when we can all differentiate. Doesn't matter the date, but listen to his words. Differentiate between good and bad by sharing a picture with the Israeli flag. Let the Israeli flag stand today to send out a message to humanity, which is we will never accept terror as legitimate. We will never blame the murder on the victims. There is no such thing as moral equivalence between terrorist and victim. The terrorist is always bad. And he said in remembering the beginning of the turnaround in the Second World War, when the forces of good started to overcome the forces of evil, D stands for differentiate, because on D's day, we have to differentiate between good and evil. My friends, on Israel's worst day, and we have seen a couple of worst days in the last few weeks, I say with unbridled conviction, with unbridled optimism, and with unreined, absolutely unreined clarity. Israel is a holy country, a holy land, born of holiness. But the bottom line is God gave, God knows. But to my fellow Israelis and to Jews around the world, I say that we are only as holy, we are only as blessed, and we are only as deserving as the holiness that we demonstrate in our behavior and attitudes towards one another. And it's in this spirit that I conduct today's show. My name's Andrea Simintov. And when we come back, we're going to talk about additional pockets of holiness, pockets of joy, and indeed, pockets of hope.
Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Coronary artery disease is one of the most common types of heart disease affecting millions of people. Treatments may require coronary angioplasty and placement of stents to open clogged heart arteries. An Israeli firm called CathWorks is working on a platform to optimize coronary artery disease treatment decisions and elevate coronary angiography from visual assessment to an objective decision-making tool for physicians. The technology begins with two-dimensional angiograms, which are then transformed into a three-dimensional model of the patient's coronary tree. The system uses algorithms to analyze every branch of the patient's coronary tree, calculating resistance to blood flow and comparing resistance to blood flow in healthy vessels to diseased blood vessels, helping physicians to find the best treatment approach for each patient. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Okay, we're back. We are back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And I see South Africa is not with us today. I hope you guys are not having a uh, another bout of load shedding. But of course, if you are, you're not hearing me tell you that. So you'll hear it in the podcast. Let's go here. Now, um, a story, a lovely, lovely story. Uh, I received it from several sources, and anybody listening and wants the source, (laughs) I'll do my homework and give you the source of the original story, but I've read the same version, okay, and it's an only in Israel story, and I'm certain that other announcers, other hosts on this station have um, covered this, but hey, you're with me now. So it happened a few days ago, uh, a few days, it must have been like um, just before last Shabbos. So in an area of Eretz Israel, it's called Ramat Hasharon. There's a, there's a couple of very famous chain supermarkets in Israel, I know. Uh, Super Sol is one, Rami Levy, you've you got a lot of them. Um, Osher Ad. And then a, new, a newcomer on the scene, it's only a newcomer because I'm so old, but uh, it's called Yochananov. And so there was a Yochananov supermarket in Ramat Hasharon, very, very large store. Uh, discounted, sells a lot of bulk items, which is something very new to Israel. And if you will remember, I think it was, it must have been the Pesach of the intermediate, uh, the, the Sabbath of the intermediate days of Passover, where like it was still raining, raining. I was overseas, but I couldn't get over the weather reports. And the supermarket was absolutely bursting with shoppers. Uh, the carts were packed with all of their uh, 
their 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 Sabbath Eve needs, you know, because I didn't eat enough at the Seder. And um, the payment machines were down. They couldn't. I mean, all of the kupaot, the cash registers, were down because of, I don't know if it was the rain. So anyway, the supermarket manager had to make a very quick decision. In Israel, you must understand, it was very hard, it must understand, Friday afternoon, regardless of where you are, even in the flesh pots of Tel Aviv, you have an awareness of the Sabbath. And in more uh, traditional areas, you feel the city closing down. So people were getting very nervous. How are they going to pay? And so the manager decided, seeing everybody with their Sabbath purchases, his name, we're going to name him here because he's a rock star. His name is Tzvi Avraham. And he announced to the customers, take all your groceries, just go and you'll pay next week. Almost 100 customers left with their purchases unpaid. And on Sunday, when the store opened again on Sunday, 70% of the customers came on 70% to pay for the shopping that they made on what we say Erev Shabbat. And almost everybody else came in in the next few days to settle their bill. The store manager, he was interviewed on television. I didn't see the interview because it happened before I returned. Uh, He couldn't believe it. So the customers came back with lists that they had prepared and photos of their smartphone purchases with the barcodes. I must tell you, I, I want to keep it on the high, but even as I tell this story, I think to myself, the pictures of the, um, what's the word? Give me English, give me English. The ransacking of CVS stores and targets in America. And I mean, the shells being ripped down, people taking what doesn't belong to them. It's not to say we don't have crime here, but I would venture to say that what Svi, what's his name? Svi Abramov? Svi, Svi Abraham. I would venture to say that what he except, ex, that he experienced in Israel is not the exception. It is the rule. Oh, yeah. And as a footnote, 37,000 U.S. dollars worth of goods were paid for the week. And the supermarket didn't lose a penny. All right. I'm jumping all over my notes here because I need to share with you an experience that I had. And, you know, we don't sugarcoat stuff on Israel News Talk Radio. Sometimes I wish we would. Sometimes I wish we did. Hey, we don't. Not the style. Okay. It's not entertainment TV. And I'm in America. Oh, my gosh. It was three-day holidays in America. You had, I think it was a, uh, the first holiday of Pass- Passover was a, a Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, and then, of course, the Holy Sabbath. That's a lot of holiday for Israelis. And I think the next week was... Was it the same thing? I can't even remember. It's all blank. You couldn't go anywhere. I was visiting uh, relatives, my my fabulous brother and sister-in-law, their beautiful home in Silver Spring, wonderful warm community of White Oak, and then staying when it was not holiday. I was staying with my mother in her senior in her senior facility in the town of Rockville, Maryland. Lovely, lovely. Anyway, one day um, we had guests. For it was during the Chol Hamoed, the intermediate days, and guests came for lunch, and 
they felt that it was important that I be there. And I was happy to, brought my mom. And one of the guests uh, cornered me and wanted to tell me how involved he was in Israeli-American relations and how he was working with um, American Jews and American Jewish committees to heal the rift between American Jews and Israelis. And so I, I smiled um, because... I must confess, the rift or the supposed rift does not affect me. I don't think it affects me on a day-to-day. I, I, it affects me when I read newspapers and I read about the rifts, but I'm not suffering. Having said that, it was very important to me. But then as the conversation went on and he was explaining his work, um, this fellow is an avowed reform Jew. He, he's not Torah observant in any way. Um, his children are all intermarried. Um, some are experimenting with other various uh, woke, uh, woke identities. And he's telling me that the Israelis, that he went with a bunch of Americans and they met with leaders and they only met with leaders of the Israeli left. And um, I'm not going to go through the list, but actually it was those who lost the last election. They met with many of them and how they are going to come to Israel and bring their ideas and explain to the Israelis how they have to be more open to um, different types of lifestyle, different kinds of people. But if we don't behave ourselves, that was his bottom line, because I actually said to him, um, is your bottom line that if we don't behave ourselves the money's going to get cut off? And his answer to me was, yeah, yeah. You have to behave yourselves if you want the donations to continue. <laughs> and I then, this is right, right before my brother's finger wag, um, <laughs> I then said to him, so when are you moving to Israel? And he said to me, no, I, you know, I, I, I would never, I can't live in Israel. And I was just surrounded and I just kept, seeing and reading about all these Jews who want to impose their values, their non-success stories, their non-success lives on Israel, on Israel. And I was drowning in articles. Um, apparently, a new report came out. U.S. Hebrew school enrollment is down by 50%, 50%, those of you listening in who grew up in secular or marginally co um, Jewish homes, we all went to Hebrew school. There was something we were, and we were all taught by teachers who were intimately involved in Jewish life, even if we weren't. Synagogue attendance is almost non-existent. Um, the reform and sadly the conservative movement with which I've had some really lovely experience disappearing. They're joining forces. Um, nobody, the only one that seems to be growing other than the Haredi world is the Chabad network. The Chabad is coming in and coming into towns where Yiddishkeit, Judaism is dying and trying to give a feeling and a sense of honest um, Jewish values, Jewish education, everything else. I'm just reading all of these excuses. So when I, this is a big quote by one of the 
leaders of the movement that this fellow who was talking to me, she said, people want to be able to have bite-sized pieces, just like you sign up for a six weeks art class. You could do, and she says, they might want six weeks Jewish class. And I'm thinking to myself, a lifetime. We were born into royalty. We are all remnants of the only 20% that were permitted to leave Mitzrayim, leave Egypt, and they want to take Jewish life. Nobody has the stomach to make it more than an experiment in Pilates, the Pilates class. Absolutely shocking. Um, they're applying for grants. They're going crazy. and But yet they do not understand how to stop the ship from sinking. And I say... I say with humility, I say with kindness, I say with achtut. Nowhere in all of your planning, nowhere in all of your curriculum does Torah take a place that's front and center. Bring back Sabbath, bring back the family table, bring back prayer, bring back synagogue attendance, Bring back keeping kosher. Bring back kosher relationships between husbands and wives. You'll keep your children in the fold. My name's Andrea Simintov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side. My name is Michael Benoach from Slovakia. Israel News Talk Radio is just the best radio station in the world and I listen every day. One minute of Torah. In our double Torah portion of Ahmed Kedoshim, God gives Moses additional instructions regarding the sacrifices. Surprisingly, out of all 613 commandments, only the sacrifices are referred to as pleasing to God. This is especially puzzling when we consider how much emphasis the Torah puts on caring for animals. Likewise, the Torah prohibits wasting objects, so we have the same question regarding burning non-animal sacrifices. Why does this give God such pleasure? Many of the divine commandments make sense to a moral and just individual. Even without the Torah, we'd want to stay away from theft, murder, etc. Some commandments commemorate past events in our history. We may not have thought of eating matzah and Passover, for example, but once presented to us, we can agree to the logic and benefit. However, when we fulfill commandments that make no sense, we are obviously doing them from a place of utter submission to God. Not because we agree, like, or understand the reason, but only because God commanded. This absolute acceptance of God's will is what gives God such great pleasure. Let us take this one step further and challenge ourselves to fulfill even the logical and likable commandments with the same devotion and acceptance of God's will. With your Iron Chairman of Torah, Hello listeners, my name is Gila Perach Hirsch and I live in Israel and I love it here because in Israel I can feel the hand of God brushing my cheek. Hi, my name is Arnie. I'm from Jerusalem and I love Israel because it's my happy place. My name is Hannah. What Israel represents for me, freedom to be who I am, and all the other amazing things that small country had accomplished. It just makes me so proud. Thank you, Israel. Hi, my name is Morris Klein from Melbourne, Australia, and I love Israel because I'm Yisrael Chai. 
Hi, this is Michal from London originally, now Natanya. The reason I love Israel, I would probably say Israel, where every Jew feels at home. Hello, this is Harold from Jerusalem, Israel. I love living in Israel because my inside life and my outside life are one and the same, and they blend smoothly and uniformly with each other. Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I forgot to give the email address. If you want to write to me, if you have any questions, if you want to me to source something that I'm sharing with you, I tell you I make up very, very little. Okay, um, that's not in my real life, but in for the show, everything is authenticated. Um, and uh, drop me a note. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And you don't have to add the tagline, the only place to be. All right. So this week, we may go back and forth. I cannot get over. I think there's a childish, a childish, a childish, (laughs) a childish sense of awe. That is something that's very precious, and I beg all of us not to forget what that is. It keeps us young. It keeps us spirited. Pray tell, Andrea, to what are you referring? Ah, thanks for asking. As I'm reading this week's Parsha, uh, Torah portion, as I'm preparing the part of the show called the Devar Torah, a word of Torah, um, I can never get over the way it lines up with world events, um, that it seems to mirror the passion, the folly, the sadness, and the hope that the world is experiencing at the same time that Jews for thousands and thousands of years have read um, the same words. And I hope, I'm curious to know if you agree with me. This week's Torah Parsha uh, portion I'm telling you, uh, one other thing <laughs> before we go on. Yes. So as I'm in America and speaking with people, it was, I, I really don't interact on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I live in Israel. My existence is very Jewish. My home is very Jewish. And um, I would say that more than native born Israelis, I primarily interact with um, immigrants, people who came from English-speaking countries. Not all the time. I do go out. I do interact. I'm not completely agoraphobic. But I do, you know, but so there's a language that we have developed here among ourselves in the English-speaking community. And I know that my Israeli listeners are all chuckling to themselves. And this language, it's not documented, but it's called Hebrish. It's English, but so many Hebrew words that we wouldn't even bother to try to come up with the English translation because it just works in Hebrew. But what happens is I get to America and I go to um, drive, uh, um, not drive, I go into stores and I speak accent-less English. I mean, clearly I have an East Coast accent, but I speak like an American-born American. 
And yet I can't find the words for certain English words. I'm in Trader Joe's. I'm not giving them a plug. They didn't give me anything for free. But anyway, I go into Trader Joe's and I realize I speak Hebrew. I cannot find words for, I can't remember certain things. I couldn't remember the word um, zucchini. And I'm going, kishu'im, kishu'im. <laughs> I don't want to remember Z's zebra. No, it was bad. All right. So Mot Kadoshim. That's this week's Torah portion. Oh yeah. Why was I giving you that? Because I sometimes I feel so close to all of you, and I'm thinking that half the time I'm speaking Hebrew, and you're thinking, is there a translation for that word she just used? Okay. So this week the reading is a double portion, uh, and it contains the largest number of commandments that appear in any one section of the Torah. It's very funny because we know we have 613 commandments and most, not most of them, but the largest chunk. It's spread out throughout the entire Torah, but this one gets a hefty dose. I'm not really sure how many are in here. I didn't count them. You know, I do have to occasionally do laundry. All right. So one question that has challenged Judaism throughout the ages all right. And this comes from Rabbi Wine, my favorite go-to. He says, you know, why do we need so many commandments to fill our obligation to be good, to be kind, to be faithful? Isn't it sufficient that we understand that the principles that are outlined in the Ten Commandments, which permeate all of Jewish life and scholarship? You know, we know um, we have the seven Noahide mitzvot, the seven commandments that we impress upon every member of the world and some of our mitzvot are not included one day we'll do a show on the noahide mitzvot perhaps but they don't have to do the 10 and they certainly don't have to do the rest of the world doesn't have to do 613 so we're aware of the goal which is that of being a good and honest and compassionate human being so one would think that that realization alone, you know, how many times I hear people in my travels say, you know, I'm, I'm not observant, I'm not religious, but as long as, you know, as long as I'm a good person, I don't care who my children marry, as long as they're good people, uh, that one I can accept. I love it when they say, as long as they're happy. But um, isn't being a good person enough? You know, we understand that the devil is in the details. And at first glance, and even with a superficial understanding, it's kind of it feels kind of superfluous. 613 misses. What's that? I'm not supposed to mix cotton and flax and why why can't I eat a, a you know pig that's kosher, that that's clean and raised organically? Okay? What is this goal that we are aspiring towards? So it has always been a contention in some factions of Jewish life throughout history that the details of the commandments are not really important. But as a Jew, it was very crucial, very critical to be good at heart. And this was, of course, the contention of the, um, um, the Soducci's, I think is how you say it in English, in the Second Temporal Times. And it continues to be the philosophy of so many groups that have deviated. Indeed, I mentioned so many in the fourth section, those who call themselves Jewish leaders and Jewish thinkers, that Jewish tradition and observance of the Torah, they deviate. And it remains that even today that the banner, the banner of these non-Orthodox groups, 
you know how I feel about the word orthodox, but it loudly proclaims and justifies that essentially they're celebrating non-Jewish Jewishness. To them, the details are unnecessary. It's burdensome. It's, it's without value. Just be a good person. That alone is the essence of Judaism. And later on, towards the end of my Devar Torah today, we're going to go back and revisit the, the Ahavta Lareya do unto others as you would have done unto yourselves. Okay, so if you're making my already the connection, good, you're ahead of the game. Human history teaches us quite differently. As it has been said over and over, I even have said it to my, you know, I've said it myself. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions often lead to tyranny over others, even murder, even genocide. Without the details, how are good intentions to be fulfilled? We can't rely upon human judgment to guarantee that those good intentions will ever be realized. You know, Stick your finger in your mouth, hold it up to the wind, and see which way the wind is blowing. Ah. Rabbi Wine reminds us the worst dictators and murderers of the past few centuries, such as Napoleon, the Kaiser, Hitler, Stalin, a whole bevy, a bevy of beauties. They always proclaimed that they had good intentions for their country and for all of mankind. And what did they maintain? That to achieve those good intentions, force, coercion, this is an entitlement to actualize their vision of good. In the current world, good intentions alone without restraint of the details, the commandments, the holiness of God leads to the murder. I'm not going to mince words leads to the murder of unborn fetuses. Concentration camps, gulags, cancel culture, culture, tyranny of the majority over the minority, no matter how slight the margin of majority in terms of numbers and popularity. You know, I'm going off script. I read yesterday an article. It was like watching a car crash. Look away, Andrea. Look away. Do not read this. It was about somebody who identifies himself, herself, them, they are they, as non-binary. It's a girl. It's a woman. And she wasn't allowed into her Catholic school prom because she wanted to wear a suit and the contract that her parents signed and sent her to school under said, the rules of the school are what you are agreeing to. Why am I even mentioning this? Because the shock of the public outrage, not at people wanting to bend the rules to their liking, their current morality, their finger in the mouth, which way is the air blowing? But instead, the community is gathered so that she can have her own prom and wear her suit. What has happened to us? We live in the midst of madness and we call it holy. Does no one stand up and scream, the emperor is naked? Good intentions without restraint of details and commandments are, in fact, dangerous 
This is not, I am not sharing something with you that is a boon, a blessing, a gift to human society. Judaism offers instructions via the Torah, via the blueprint, as how to become a good person and maintain, here's the shocker, boys and girls, a moral life. It teaches us that very often it's the minority, not the majority, that is correct. Okay, I've ranted. No more ranting. Okay, you've gotten my, uh, I think I could go on. I could replace, what was his name? Who got, fi- who got fired from Fox News? Tucker Carlson? All right. Anyway, um, what was the sin? The children of Aharon, his sons. I'm just watching the clock here because I have a lot of passion to share here. Okay, what was the sin? Why was the sin of Nadav and Avihu? Those were the sons of Aaron. You remember the story? They drank wine. They were in the um, they were in the the um, not the tabernacle, the base. Oh my gosh! Um, they were in the temple. They got their high from a physical rather than a purely spiritual source, the Torah. What are we learning here? That when you eat and drink, the only one who gains is yourself by drinking and by bringing their own sacrifice without including the rest of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. The only ones whose spiritual levels they were trying to raise was their own. In contrast, yeah, so I just received an excellent, yeah, I'm sorry, I went blank, forgive me. The sin they committed was during the inauguration of the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the Midbar, in the desert. Boy, oh boy, Andrea, it's both jet lag and overeating. I apologize. Um, in contrast, so what happened was there, these, these were blessed, blessed, these were not Idiots, these men were holy, they were learned, they were gifted, and they were destined to be leaders. And yet, by that single act of selfishness, their fates were sealed. In contrast to that selfish response of Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, the Parsha teaches us how to train ourselves to avoid selfishness. Indeed, the name Kidoshim is holiness. It's in the name of the Torah portion. In giving us the set of mitzvot in this parsha, this portion of Kedoshim, God shows us that he understands that man's natural tendency is to keep. Many of the laws of the portion teach us how to give and how to give time after time. So much giving that it becomes a habit, a replacement a replacement nature to our natural selfishness. What does God tell us? He tells us to be kadosh, be holy. And then he goes on to instruct us. We're given a paradigm for instructing our children as well. Oh, how I wish my friend who confronted me about Israel foolishness could listen to this. The Torah tells us, you should fear every man, his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. A child's first teacher is his mother, 
then his father. The first thing he recognizes in the home is Shabbat, the Holy Sabbath. And from here he learns that there is a God and it is a natural progression to do not do not turn toward idols. The meal, the holy meal um, that is to be shared by the Kohanim, by the priests, is called Shelamim. And it's so funny because I've known this, but I never understood to look it up and to see what it means. It's sort of, you know, a kind of an arrogance, forgive me, of being observant and just knowing the music of Torah observance and never separating and doing the work so that I can hand it over. And so this name, Shelamim, comes from the word Shalem, complete, hold. It's a particularly meaningful name because this offering was a meal that was shared at the altar by the priests and the offerer. Um, it really was a, how can I say this, a, a repast of peace, a peace offering which reflects the harmony between he who offers to God and his servants. The reason I throw this in here now, at first glance, we might say to ourselves, eating? Wait a second. They were killed for being selfish and being so self-centered. Didn't we just put down that eating is the ultimate act of selfishness? So even Ezra points out how this sacrifice, this particular meal sacrifice, teaches us how to share. It would have been impossible for an individual to finish eating the shilamim um, meal within the deadline. Aha! But by inviting others to partake of it, we finish it on time, we learn how to give, and we observe the mitzvah, the commandment. The famous principle, the Torah principle, I say it all the time, but you shall love thy fellow man as thyself. You know, I've heard it said, and I want to know what you think, that isn't it taking it a little too far? It, it's asking us to have a supernatural, a superhuman denial of ourself. The word kamocha, as yourself, would indicate that rather than just not being selfish, we must um, deny our selfness. Surely we can't love our neighbor exactly the same way as we love ourselves. What did Rabbi Akiva say? He ruled that one's life takes precedent over that of his fellow man. But when we look a little more closely at the word lareacha, we see, um, you know, as yourself, we see that this mitzvah is possible. All the mitzvahs, by the way, are possible because it fits right into the concept of helping us overcome our selfishness the mitzvah is not love thy neighbor as thyself but have love for your neighbor as you have for yourself the rambam says that this mitzvah is a commandment for here's the here's the operative word equality to wish each person success in all matters and not to hope that you will always have that little something, that little edge. I'm a little better. I'm a little more superior. 
to love to do good things for others and not to place any limitations on the love you have for others. Like my Rebetzin, Rebetzin Yehuda Samet says, she says, you know, in Israel, everyone's running for buses. And what do we say when we run? Oh my gosh, I hope I make the bus. I hope I make the bus. And she said in one of the most beautiful uh, Torah classes, she said, what is via hafta l'reya it's seeing other people running for their buses and saying, Oi, 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 I hope he makes his bus. I hope she makes her bus, makes her bus with her children, makes his bus with his marriage, makes her bus with her livelihood, with their health. Make Everyone should make their bus. What Aharei Mot provides us with in terms of theory that's the first part of the Torah portion. The second part, Kadoshim, provides us with in practice. The deaths of the sons of Aaron point out the consequences of selfishness, but they don't really tell us what to do about it. Don't be selfish. Well, that's a little bit vague. The English translation of the words, Kadoshim Tehiyu, you shall be holy, conjures up something that's kind of vague. It's like this ethereal holiness, like pictures we used to see in books of angels with halos. It's a theoretical, unattainable state of being. But you know what? In very specific terms, to be allowed to put that theory into action, we need kadoshim, holiness. We have been fortunate to have been given mitzvot, which we can use throughout our lives that will guide us to help us obliterate, wipe out, erase that selfish nature that comes so naturally, more so to some of us, so we won't stumble as did Nadav and Avihu, but that we'll truly be able to be an Am Kadosh, a holy people. As I close, I want to share this. You know, Hakoratatov, giving gratitude. Thought a lot about that during my trip, visiting with my mother, visiting with my brother, and seeing with how I could not wait to return to the holy land that I had been blessed to live in. You know, before the children of Israel entered the holy land, Moshe taught them the laws of planting. The Midrash tells us a story that Bnei Yisrael entered a land that was already filled with beautiful trees. Still, God commands them to plant new trees. They were obligated to provide for others just as others had provided for them. It was waiting for us. It was sitting here for us. Perhaps they themselves wouldn't enjoy the fruits of their later labor, but the next generation would. So the Midrash tells this great story which reiterates the lesson. And I'm going to speak quickly here, okay? Emperor, okay, Emperor, I have to say it right. It's all, uh, it's all Greek here. Andrianos, on his way to war, he passes this old man planting a fig trees. He's planting fig trees. And Adrianus asks him in surprise, why is an old man like you slaving to plant these trees? Just for others to enjoy? And the elderly man replied, I'm planting now. If I'm worthy, I will live to eat of my fruit. If I'm not worthy... My sons will eat from them. Three years elapsed, and the emperor returning from battle, he happens upon the same very old man. The old man had filled a basket with the best of his fruits, and he presented it to Emperor Adrianus. And impressed with the man's wisdom and determination, he takes the basket, 
and in return he fills it with gold. God's commandment to plant anew teaches us of that moral obligation that we all have to work and plant for future generations. My friend in America, my Jewish lay leaders, we're not talking about fig trees necessarily. God gave us a perfectly prepared world, equipped to fulfill all of our needs. We can't just simply relax, enjoy it. Our feelings of hakorat tov appreciation, it compels us to give over to others a world that's equally complete, equally blessed, just as we have received. The concept is not limited to ecological conservation or replenishment of natural resources. The broader implications that I'm trying to share with you of this commandment include our obligation to convey, to convey to future generations the most precious of gifts that we were fortunate to have received, the Torah. Rabbi Henach Leibowitz says in his book, The Majesty of Man, generations, and I quote, generations and generations of Jews have toiled and at times even given their lives to transmit the Torah's teachings. We're not talking just the fruit of the land. It's the Torah that's in our hearts. It's our responsibility to repay the debt we owe for having benefited from their sacrifices, from their, from their dedication, by replanting, cultivating, nurturing the seeds of Torah for our children. And if not our children, please, moms, dad, grandparents, for our grandchildren, by strengthening our schools and our homes, making them holier, making them more kosher, making them more God-centered, we can feel secure that our children and grandchildren will grow up appreciating and understanding the beauty and indeed the relevance of Torah. And in time, blossom with fruits that carry forth that beauty for many years and generations to come. My name is Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem.